This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. episode of Total Saints Podcast, with a dedicated weekly podcast going to the heart of all things Saints FC. Yes, with another international break now out of the way, we're able to once again fully focus on life within Southampton Football Club circles. Ralph Hasenhutl's men were back in action this past weekend, taking on Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. We'll talk through some of the key moments from that 90 minutes in a game that finished in a pulsating humdinger of a three-all draw. Alongside that, we'll be previewing the visit to St Mary's of big spending Everton, touching on the recent Premier League pay-per-view decision, including why Saints' own yes vote was partly irrelevant, and considering whether the club finished the summer transfer window in a more positive position than they started it. Finally, if that isn't enough, TSP 132 includes the latest international supporters club, as I speak with Ilya Markov, one of the key men behind the Bulgarian Saints supporters group. Look out for that in a little while. For now, to help us work through the majority of that agenda, it's our regular TSP panel of Steve, Glenn and Dan. Evening, guys. Evening. 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 We've got quite a lot to get through tonight, so I'm not going to dwell on the ad-lib chit-chat this episode, which I'm sure is a relief for all of you. But uh, just briefly, Steve, I wanted to obviously mention uh, happy birthday. I know it was your birthday during the international break, wasn't it? So what was that, 37, 38? 37, yes. 37, yeah, cool. Whippersnapper. So, uh, yeah. happy birthday. And, oh, uh, yeah, oh. obviously, I uh, hope you're all keeping well and good to have you back. Um, just before we do get going, uh, I would very much like to welcome our newest TSP patron, Elsie Skills, who signed up to support the podcast since our previous episode. A big thank you to you, Elsie Skills, for coming on board via patreon.com 
slash Total Saints Podcast. Like all of our patrons currently underpinning TSP, it's very much appreciated. Just continuing the birthday messages as well, I'd also like to say a quick happy birthday to our editor, Alex. It's actually his birthday today on day of recording, so what better way to spend it than by editing the largely inane ramblings of us four? Anyway, hopefully you've had a good day, Alex. Let's get going for this episode. This is TSP 132. This is the Total Saints Podcast with Ben Stanfield, Steve Grant, Glenn Dillacour, and the Athletics' Dan Sheldon. Saints' first game back after two weeks of international fixtures saw them head up to London and take on Frank Lampard's Chelsea, the match eventually ending in a 3 all draw after Yannick Vestergaard's stooping injury time header. Glenn, having not wanted to pay £14.95 myself, I spent the 90 minutes playing Lego with my son, which was very enjoyable. Listened to the game on the radio and watched the highlights last night. It was very old school. Um, all in all, whether you're a watcher, a listener or a complete absentee, from a Saints' point of view, quite a game. Uh, yeah, very much so. Ultimately, we got the point that we totally deserved over the over the 90 minutes. But it was odd. We kind of veered between very bad and very good at, at various different points of the game. Um, and, and if you look at individual players, it, it's hard to say that anyone had a, a great 90 minutes. People were, were great in patches and, and not so great in others. But, you know, going two goals down, we, we seem to we seem to fall into the trap that the media fall in whenever there's a, a big club versus a smaller club in that they, they get totally blinded by the, uh, the glittering array of talents that cost 80 million quid each or whatever. And we seem to be... Uh, a bit like that ourselves, and that we ju- we just gave them space to play in the first half an hour, and it was um, it it was looking like it might be a bit nasty when it went to two nil. You know, you thought we could have been in for one of these games where we get absolutely thumped, but getting the goal just before half time was was a massive thing for us, and 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 the second half we were the better side. You know, dozed off when we got back to two two. But um, <laughs> you know, the old um, you're most vulnerable when you've just scored. But overall, you know the the, the goal in the last in the last minute felt like a winner, even though it wasn't. And uh, it's uh, it's it's always good to get out of um, out of Chelsea with a you know with a positive result. Indeed, um, Dan. Look, as Glenn has said, not a good day to be a defensive coach for either team. Um, obviously, against a side that spent near on 250 million this summer, it was never going to be an easy day at the office for Ralph and his team. Um, did you think a, a draw was fair in the end, or you know, as Glenn sort of alluded to there, could Saints have maybe got more than just a point, or are we being a little bit greedy by suggesting that? Uh, no, I think you're you're more than welcome to suggest that. I, you know, uh, going into half time, I you know I wouldn't have been surprised if Southampton were four 0 down. Um, but then you know, coming away at full time, I for one thought, in a weird way, having been two 0 down, it was a missed opportunity. I mean, they absolutely battered Chelsea in the second half. But I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm sure most supporters would take a point. They were two 0 down at Stamford Bridge against a team that have spent bucket loads of money this summer. Um, you know, it could have gone from very bad to a lot lot worse when it was 2-0 but they managed to fight back and I think that's the important thing you know after that third goal went in for Chelsea I mean that really was a killer blow you know you just thought oh well they've done so well to get back into the game to now concede that goal then but they didn't they kept on going they just played their own game and then obviously Vestergaard got the the slightest of touches on Walcott's cross come shot or whatever it was and you know managed to managed to to own a point really and it was a well-deserved point yeah we'll come on to talk about uh 
best guard in a minute. But Steve, from a, a Saints point of view now, that's just three defeats in the last 14 Premier League games overall and only one of their last eight away games, which uh, is pretty impressive stuff. Obviously, that was the disappointing opening day result at Crystal Palace. Um, I tweeted last night, but you know, I think it seems evident to all of us that Ralph has installed this sort of incredible keep-going attitude into the squad now. You know, They regularly don't necessarily know when they're beaten, even away at the, the big six. You think of Old Trafford at the end of last season, things like that. You know, Many years gone by, 2-0 down after 30 minutes. As uh, Dan kind of alluded to there, we would have been worried about 4 or 5, and it uh, would have been game well and truly over. So maybe a change in the way that Saints are sort of uh, the mentality in the squad these days. Yeah, I think, that, I think that's the key thing, really. I mean don't have to go back that far and see sort of away batterings at um at the big boys i mean obviously we were we were tanked what 6-1 at city uh under mark hughes where i mean we might as well have just not bothered turning up in the first place i mean we in the not throughout the 90s we were frequently um done four five six at, at old trafford um liverpool as well everton we had a couple of big beatings at as well so it's it's our there was there was definitely sort of a, a a mentality of i mean away from home against anybody we were you would always put as second favorites um like even back when you had sides like um swindon and barnsley and and people like that who were basically propping up um propping up the league there to make make up the numbers effectively and we'd still go to and we still went to both of those and lost <laughs> um so it's it, it's all it's always been that thing that historically Saints have been bad away from home. Even like I think looking at like league tables and stuff from back in the eighties when we were when we were genuinely very good, it was all pre it was all based on being brilliant at home. Fortress Dale, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and we'd we'd go away from home and if and if we managed to get a um a sort of vaguely even even spread of, of um wins, draws and defeats, then that was that was seen as a very good return away from home. But um but now, I mean oddly, that would actually be be a bit of a step down from from what we're what we're kind of used to the last few years. And I think um I think it kind of kind of started you had a little bit of a start with Pochettino uh, changing the attitude a little bit. Um although I think a lot of it a lot of that situation wasn't necessarily an attitude thing it was a right this is the way we're going to play and we had a defined style and the players players all bought into it and and as a result you kind of automatically had this belief that what you were doing was right and I think since since he left Kuman obviously brought in a, a touch more pragmatism away from home and our our record um, he kind of brought in the more counter-attacking style, and I think that that is kind of the the long-lasting legacy. I think from from kind of that era of the club is the um, the ability to sort of um, break up play and swiftly get down the other end. Because in the in the past, it was it was always a case of well, you're always worried that the opposition's going to do it to you, but it never felt like we had the skills to be able to, to be able to rip teams apart on the counter-attack. Um, and yet, that's that's kind of that's kind of pretty much the way we operate now. It certainly always felt, didn't it, in the old days that you know Saints would have a a good start, three or four chances, wouldn't put them back in the net. The other team would go straight down the other end, away from home, and you'd be one nil down, that sort of thing. But uh, yeah, maybe we're a little bit more uh, effective these days. But um, Dan, just to pick out some of the key contributors from the game, then um, Danny Ings did what Danny Ings does, scored a, a great goal and got us back into the game just before half time. Uh, 
as we speak about him most weeks, I'm probably going to brush over there and just probably reflect more on his uh, strike partner, Shea Adams. Um, you know, we've spoken about him a little bit this season. Uh, he obviously settled the first goal. He uh, scored himself. I think it was the first time he'd scored and assisted in the same game since October 2018 when he was playing for Birmingham against uh, Sheffield Wednesday. Again, as I say, we've we've obviously spoken about the fact that he's had a promising start to the season but it's it's not just his goals and his assists it's obviously the hard work that we're starting to see from him you know pressing for that first goal as well so you know a really good performance from him and obviously his goal was uh, you know a comical set of circumstances yeah I think it was a remarkable goal really a remarkable piece of defending from firstly Zuma and then Kepper I'm not quite sure what on earth was going on there but <laughs> no I mean he took it he took the goal it doesn't you know it doesn't make a difference to Southampton fans you know he scored and I'm sure he'll be thrilled with that no doubt yeah, Shea, he's very he's a really interesting player. I think I'm actually going to write about him this week. I mean, I've not checked the stats after today's game, but I think, I mean, especially after yesterday's game, he is he'd missed the most big chances. He was basically top of that chart in the Premier League, above Mane, Kane, uh, and I think Calvert Lewin was on there as well. Um, so when you see that and you think, well, bloody hell, you know, he does miss a lot of chances, but at the same time, his game he has so much more as well. Which I I guess when you're a striker. You, I mean, of course, you know, they're in the team to score goals. Um, I'm sure he'd like to score, have scored more than just one goal this season so far. And, you know, we have to say he does miss a lot. You know, there are a few in the games this season. We've seen him miss chances that you'd like to think should have really gone in. Um, but he keeps on persevering and he does seem to have a great understanding with Ings. And I think I alluded to the point before on a previous podcast, you know, if you take him out of the team, um, you know, you're not really going to get any more goals from Michael Obafemi or Shane Long. So all the time he's got that relationship with things, you may as well just keep him in the team. And we, I think we saw in Project Restart, you know, once he did get that goal, he did go on a bit of a run. And I would fully expect him to do the same because I, I think he really is a, a top quality player. Um, it's just a case of, yeah, I, I, he's just one of the, he, I, he strikes me as like a streaky kind of forward. You know, once he gets one, he'll go and get 10. But if he doesn't score one, he won't score one for like 15 games. But so, no, yeah, I mean, overall, I thought his contribution was was brilliant. And, you know, long may it continue, especially if Ings is scoring at the same time. You know, I I recently wrote that, you know, they don't want to be too reliant on Danny Ings. And, you know, that game yesterday proved me wrong. But I'm happy to be proved wrong if it ends in a positive result. <laughs> Indeed. And, uh, yeah, I mean, certainly far from me to start coaching Shea Adams on how to finish and that sort of thing. But you get the feeling almost that the championship was a bit more wham-bam, you know, that sort of thing. Whereas actually within the, the Premier League, you know, a little bit more time, a little bit more composure. I remember he had a chance, I think it was one of the first games that he played against Man United at home when he was sort of uh, almost clean through on the angle and blasted it into the chapel stand. You know, you get the feeling with him maybe that it is just learning with, you know, the likes of Ings and Ralph and being able to be a bit more calm and composed on the ball when he is in front of goal and that sort of thing. So fingers crossed, you know, that'll, uh, again, as you say, start another run for him. Um, Glenn, maybe from someone to... You know, who's starting out in the, the Premier League to someone who's, you know, been around for a long time. Um, as uh, Dan wrote and uh, numerous people have mentioned, after 14 years and 276 days, Theo Walcott made his second debut in the game. Um, you know, firstly, great to see him back in a Saints shirt. We've not had a chance, the four of us, to catch up since the transfer window, and we will touch on this a little bit uh, later on. But more importantly, I suppose, Glenn, some key contributions from him during the 90 minutes, including the assist for Yannick's equaliser. You know, it has only been 90 minutes and we got to appreciate that it's going to take him a little bit time to get up to speed, Glenn. But it already feels like there's more than a, you know, just a sense of romanticism with all this. Yeah, I, I mean, I, th- I thought he was he was pretty good. He got better as the game went on. Um, he, he looked 
he looked like he didn't really understand the position he was supposed to be playing, um, which which may sound, you know, you might say, OK, well, he's playing on the right wing. But it's different with Ralph's setup, as as you know, because of the, the emphasis on pressing without the ball and all that sort of stuff. A lot of our problems in the first half came with Chilwell bombing down the left-hand side and, and Theo was kind of not really making it very difficult for him. So he didn't start the game particularly well. But, you know, he's only been with us. He's probably been with Ralph for about a week. So I think we can forgive him that. And it, it's something that he'll, he, it will only get better as he, as you know, if that's the position he, he ends up playing regularly. But um, I thought he, yeah, he did, he did a decent job. But what I was particularly impressed with, I love the fact that he got crosses into the box early. Um, there were, he must have put in five or six decent crosses where, you know, we, we do tend to faff around getting the ball in sometimes. And I, I, I did like the fact that he was quite direct when he picked up the ball with a bit of space in front of him. Um, and he created a good chance for Adams in the first half. He created two or three more chances in, in the in the second half just by sort of picking up the ball just over the halfway line and just driving centrally at the Chelsea defence. And I, I thought it was a good debut. And uh, I I generally thought he'd scored the third goal um, on on first watch, but you know I'm, I'm sure he'll be uh, I'm sure he'll be happy enough with that. And uh, it was it was a good debut. And and he showed if we didn't know it already that he he will be an asset. And that's um, that's all you can ask. And he clearly loved it. You know, that's that was the that was one of the one of the things for me. He he, he clearly wants to play for the club, and he, he he clearly enjoyed it. So, all good things, I think. Totally, it was interesting. Someone was saying to me the other day that uh, you know James Ward-Prowse had had quite a say in Theo coming back, and you know you could see those two sort of hugging each other at the end when the the third goal went in. And yeah, I think as a Saints fan, it was great to see those two with the uh, you know Saints in their their blood, so to speak, uh, really celebrating it as you mentioned. But uh, just just finally on Theo Glenn, one of our listeners, Nico Caltabiana, asked whether we think Walcott could potentially take Redmond's place on the left if when Armstrong gets back in the side. Um, you know, Redmond, I, I suppose to be fair to him, he didn't have a great performance. Um, I know you gave him a five in the player ratings, Glenn, which isn't a, a great rating. But uh, of course, he's only just back from injury himself, so yeah. you know, we'll need to get up to match speed in the Premier League. I think we appreciate that. But I suppose the overall advantage of someone like Walcott to potentially answer Nico's question is that he does have the ability, and I think Dan alluded to this in his first piece when Theo came back. You know, he can play on either wing, he can play up top, he can play through the middle. So he will definitely give Ralph options, and that could well include left wing. It could do. I, I don't really know that he's played a great deal of football on the on the left hand side, but I mean, you you got to think that when everyone's fit, Armstrong will start because um, he he seems to be a player that knits everything together for us. Um, Gineppo seems to be made of glass, so he he's two games in, one you know four games out, isn't he? I thought Walcott would put pressure on Che Adams, but you know for that for that place up front if um, Adams carried on not scoring goals. But, yeah, why not? I mean, it also puts, uh, it also puts pressure on, uh, on Redmond to perform. I mean, he had Gineppo he had putting him under pressure anyway. But, it, you know, it's, it's all good things. That's what professional football is supposed to be about. It's not supposed to be easy. You know, you're, if you're under pressure to perform, then the, uh, the good players rise to that and they do a better job. And it, I'm sure Redmond is there thinking, you know, I need to, you know, do a bit better because otherwise I will lose my place and that can only be a good thing. Whether it will happen or not, I don't know. But um, I, I certainly don't think Ralph would be a, afraid to put um, you know, Theo on the left-hand side. At the end of the day, Redmond's right-footed, so is Gineppo. So why not? 
hopefully as you say it'll act as motivation for all of them won't it and uh, that'll be the greater good of the team and everything but uh, according to Squawker Football after the game Theo Walcott created five chances against Chelsea which was more than any other player on the pitch um, Steve as we focus on arguably the most important of those in injury time as Glenn mentioned there we're going to get slightly religious now it is Sunday after all um, the Bible Old Testament of course stated in chapters 13 to 16 of the book of Judges that Samson lost his incredible superhuman strength which amongst other things had enabled him to once slay a lion with his bare hands if when his long hair was cut in fact his lover Delilah eventually betrayed him and ordered a servant to do just that cut his hair before handing him over in a much weaker state to his Philistine enemies and they subsequently gouged his eyes out apparently but uh, I'm not going to dwell on that for too long anyway Steve before I digress too much do you think Yannick Vestergaard could be a modern day reverse Samson as he seems to have produced incredible superhuman performances including the crucial equalising goal at the bridge of course since having his long hair cut what? It's an easy question, Steve. It's an easy question. I mean, he's yeah, I mean, he's he's clearly improved, doesn't he? Um, Since he's had his Yeah, I mean, are we actually are we actually going to link that? It's well, I, you know, I I can't think of anything else that's made it happen. Well, yeah, okay, let's go with that. <laughs> yes, definitely has definitely has made a difference. Um, I mean. There's practicalities from it. I mean, surely not having it blowing in your face all the time is probably, <laughs> is probably quite wrong. I wouldn't know. Yeah, I've never long. So, um, likewise, yeah. It's, yeah. it's kind of difficult to speak without having had the experience, I guess. Yeah. But um, I mean, joking aside, I Steve, mean, joking aside, I mean, I saw someone said the other day, oh, he's only played against Watford, he's only played against Bournemouth, he's only played against Burnley, he's only played against West Brom, you know, they're all championship fodder type things. So this was probably arguably the hardest test he's had with Saints over the last few months I know defensively we were all over the place in the first half and I know it wasn't a great performance but look I mean from a point of view of him coming in and adding some value to the team obviously getting a crucial goal you know he's certainly someone that is starting to head in the right direction yeah he looks he looks um, a lot more composed than he did sort of previous sort of earlier in his um, in his spell here certainly certainly more composed than Bednarek does at the moment who yeah, I think yeah. struggled struggled quite badly yesterday, and has has had moments this season where you you kind of look at him and think mm, there's a, there's a there's a potential problem brewing there, and I mean I guess that's that's kind of one one of the reasons why we've bought um, Salisu in is that he's potentially gonna um, gonna compete for one or both of those places. So um, Vestergaard putting his hand up and saying nope this uh, this place is gonna be this spot's gonna be mine. Um, yeah, I mean, credit credit to him for that because, I mean, let's face it, it was probably not that long ago that we were sat here talking and and saying, well, we might as well just get rid of him because it's just it's just not working, regardless of how good he how good, bad, or indifferent he's been in the past. Um, he's just not it's just not quite working for him in in this team in this system. But at the moment, he's kind of making it work, and um, I mean, he he deserves a lot of credit for that. I I would I would imagine Ralph and some of the coaches have have had a specific input with him as well, so they they deserve credit too. And yeah, now they've just got to work their work their magic on a couple of other defensive players. I'll say something else something else about Vestergaard. He scored the equaliser, and he's he's a hero for that, and and rightly so. But you know he's not he's not in there to score goals as silly as it sounds he's in there to defend and he he did look in the first half he looked like he was really struggling the way we were playing the fact that Chelsea's forwards were so quick and making so many runs 
he did really struggle and on, on the first goal in my opinion he didn't he didn't really get across quickly enough after Bednarek had totally sold himself so you know it, it's not all great we're not all getting Garth Crooks here and saying he was man of the match just because he scored a goal there, there are still issues <laughs> you're, you're, you're going to play him at left wing back as well yeah, yeah. <laughs> there, are, there are still issues there um which which they're always going to be just because of the the nature of nature of what he is but it it goes back to the point about you know he he wouldn't have been in anybody's starting 11 at the start of this season it would have been Stevens or Bednarek now he's he's forced his way into the side and he deserves to be in there at the moment and with Salasu sitting in the wings as well he knows he's got to keep performing otherwise he'll lose his lose his place but at the moment he's he's one of our best two centre-halves and fair play to him. Indeed, all right. Well, before we get ourselves into any more uh, potential blasphemy territory, let's move on. Um, suffice to say, Saints manager Ralph Hasenhutl was absolutely delighted by the result. Here's what he had to say to SouthamptonSC.com after the game. Yeah, it was very intense, I think. Yeah, it was, uh, I think, uh, for our side, uh, a tough game in the first half uh, against a strong side. We made uh, a few silly mistakes and uh, were not that active and that aggressive like we, we normally have to be. It's always a little bit difficult when the players are coming back and, and uh, you, you cannot uh, really prepare for this game. And it takes time until the automatism are coming, until we know what we have to do. It's not so surprising that, the, the, that some players uh, have a little uh, time to, to get adapted. And you know, the second half was much better. I think we played quite well and, and, and uh, had a, a few very good chances. And I think it was a deserve point we get there. Yeah, it's, it's, it's also part of quality, if you want, uh, what we are working on the last last weeks and months. And uh, it's important after the last two wins that we are have a positive result for us. A point here is always good, especially when you are two down and, and, and again down. So it's it's a, it's a good step forward. And now we have Everton and, and Villa, so also tough games. Uh, we must play good and well, and then we have a chance. Dan, all in all then, after a week that allowed very little preparation for Ralph and his players, as he mentioned in the Thursday uh, press conference, uh, a really promising performance to, to ultimately build on and take confidence from. No, yeah, definitely. Sorry, I was just checking the Bible for that reference you made a, <laughs> Thanks. a few I minutes ago. I promise you it's right. I've been doing my research. <laughs> no, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think it was a, an important point. I mean, the games, they've got Everton next and then Villa. You know, they're two teams that are playing really well at the moment. Um, you know, seven points on the board. They're, you know, they're comfortably away from the relegation zone at the moment. So I think next week will probably be a little bit more trickier than perhaps Chelsea. I mean, Everton look a bit more organised. Um, I know yesterday's Merseyside derby probably just doesn't really back that up. But, you know, they're absolutely flying. Um, that that so, game's always chaotic, isn't yeah, it? It doesn't exactly, matter how yeah. the side are going on at the, at the time. No, exactly. And, you know, it's... You know, Chelsea have good players up top and, you know, at the moment you've got Calvert-Lewin who is arguably the most informed striker in the Premier League at the moment. So, you know, I think I listened carefully to what, you know, you were all saying about Vestergaard and I actually think that this is a really important time for him and his actually career in his career at Southampton. Um, you know, he has had chances to leave. Um, he didn't. He stayed. And then you feel the sense if he gets dropped and he's left out of the team again, you almost think, well, actually, then... Yeah, as Glenn said, you know, it probably isn't best for you and, and move on kind of thing. So I think this is almost not his final chance. Of course, it's not his final chance, but it's certainly, you know, it's certainly now or kind of when um, for him to start performing in the Southampton shirt. So, yeah, it'd be another tough test for him, I'm sure. And, you know, I, I as you all know, I'm a big fan of Jack Stevens. I'd quite like to see Jack Stevens play, I think. 
for some reason, I think Bednarek is untouchable, and I, I don't really know why. He's, you know, as Glenn alluded to, he's made quite a few mistakes, um, but he seems to be, you know, along with Prowse and Ings, one of the first names on the team sheet. So it'll be interesting to see what he has to do to get dropped. Um, maybe there's a, an athletic piece in there somewhere. Who knows? I've given myself an idea now. Well, yeah, we don't want to focus on what he needs to do to get dropped. We want to do, uh, we want to focus on what the others <laughs> need to do to get back in the team, right? So uh, there we go. But now I think uh, you're well, right. I don't know what the others do when they're sat on the bench. <laughs> warm up particularly well or something like that but uh, anyway Dan just to confirm I am a uh, confirmed Christian so I do know my Bible inside out uh, right let's uh, move on to uh, head to Sofia Bulgaria for our latest TSP International Supporters Club Total Saints Podcasts International Supporters Club Okay, following on from our September visit to Argentina, when we spoke to Saints fan Francisco Forcade in Buenos Aires, it's time now for our latest TSP International Supporters Club, celebrating Saints fans and supporters groups around the globe. This episode, we're a little closer to home as we head to Bulgaria and speak to Ilya Markov. Ilya, firstly, welcome to Total Saints Podcast. How's things with you? Oh, good. Uh, Thank you for having me. Ilya, just tell us a little bit about you know yourself and and where you're based city-wise. Um, as I mentioned, uh, you're in Bulgaria, so we know that. And and sort of how you started following Saints. Sure. So I live in uh, Sofia, which is the capital of Bulgaria. Um, I think I started following the Saints um, back in the 90s mm-hmm. when uh, Matt Matt Leticia was still playing, and most people I know um, started following the Saints because of him. Mm-hmm. And that's, of course, a, a big reason for me as well. But it's my, my story is actually even funnier. So there was, um, there was a show on Bulgarian TV called Gillette Supersport or something like that. And they had all these, it was like a magazine style TV show. Yeah. They had all these kind different segments, different sports. And they had one, like a one segment on the groundsman at the Dell. Yeah. Who's this like old school guy with a big keychain on his, uh, trousers. <laughs> Um, you know, he really reminded me of my, my granddad as well. So I, I thought that was like really romantic, you know, this like small type, uh, really closely knit club. Yeah. And I, that was like my first impression of the Saints and I loved it. And back at that time, there was like no live, um, Premier League. Uh, there weren't live games on TV or anything like that. You have to wait and catch a, you know, like a match of the day style of thing, uh, to see the games. Uh, I think one of the first games I saw was the 6-3 uh, oh, yeah. versus yeah. United. So, and then Matt Leticia and like, I didn't need anymore. It was amazing. <laughs> it was already my, my, my favorite club. The funny thing is I, I lived in the UK in England for a while. Uh, but I never actually made it to St. Mary's. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Yeah. But I think, unless I'm wrong, Ilya, you've made it to St. Mary's since, is that right? So you've been able to, to yes. travel over for a few trips. And uh, what what are some of your favorite memories or some of the games that you've been to at St. Mary's that some of us will be able to connect with and remember? Yeah, the funny thing is uh, Facebook reminded me just today that, um, <laughs> I, yeah, my first game was in uh, 2014. Um, yeah. And it was an away game at Hull, uh, Hull City. Yeah. Um, it was a really good memory. We won one nil. Victor Wanyama scored a goal from about like the center line. Yeah, I remember. Uh, I don't think I don't think I'll ever forget that no, experience that, that day. But yeah. actually, probably my best moment is when we beat Inter Milan two one mm. at Saint Mary's. That was my first home game. Wow. Um, I think we took like a few days um, off. Me and uh, a few other guys. We're about five people in Sofia who get together occasionally to watch a game. 
Uh, and we've actually traveled to Southampton a few times to, to watch games. One was that game I mentioned against Inter Milan, and the other one was a home game versus Watford uh, when Mark Hughes was still the manager. So yeah. that must have been like first half of last season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brilliant. And uh, as you said, I mean, that Inter Milan evening was uh, something memorable for everyone that was there, wasn't it? And uh, tell us oh, yeah. a, a little bit more about your Saints supporters group out there, because um, we were talking just before we started there. You know, there's quite a few of you out there and, and sort of quite a few of you now maybe outside of Bulgaria, but still very much connected with it, right? Yes, absolutely. We have a couple of things. One is the website that we have and the other one is the Facebook page. So between those two, um, the website serves as the official hub for the Bulgarian Saints. Um, so, and people can register there as, as supporters or like associated fans or whatever. Yeah. Um, so on the site, I think we have about 50 fans or mm-hmm. something like that. Uh, with, I would say at least between 20 and 30 of those are like active people I know I, and I've met. We, every year we, in the summer, we try to gather for something that we call, um, we call it the Congress like the annual congress mm-hmm. it's like a AGM meeting yeah, yeah yeah it really is just a you know a place where we meet um because we have people all over the country literally we have like people from the northwestern tip of bulgaria all the way to the like the border with turkey in the southeast yeah so we need to like find a place where we can meet which is usually somewhere in the center of the country and it's just a you know nice time with barbecue some drinks and a lot of discussions about the forthcoming season yeah yeah no brilliant and uh so bulgaria time is what a couple of hours ahead of uh, of the uk isn't it so unlike maybe francisco who was trying to watch up games in the, the morning and we know you know some of the guys that live over in california and things like that it's the middle of the night so i suppose from a bulgarian point of view Ilya, it's quite well placed in terms of the games being on a, a reasonable hour and you can have a few beers whether it's afternoon evening that sort of thing yeah, exactly. And um, not all games are uh, shown live on TV, mm-hmm. um, especially if it's something. I, it might be a very good game, something like I don't know. I think uh, the game, the games against Everton this year are going to be very good. Yeah. But you know, if you have something like Liverpool or United or City or one of the other so-called big teams on TV uh, at the same time, even if they're playing, I don't know, Norwich or something, um, they would usually be shown live. Yeah. And I guess, uh, you know, the current situation with COVID and, you know, uh, having all the games uh, on TV helps a little bit because that means we have more, more games on TV. Yeah. But yeah, usually when you, we have a game live, uh, we'll try to get together and watch together. What's the sort of feeling like, you know, within your own sort of personal view and within the supporters group over there? I mean, it's still early days in the season, but at time of recording, we're in the international break. We've had back-to-back wins, back-to-back clean sheets. There, there's been a positive transfer window. You know, Theo Wilcott's returned, all that sort of thing. On and off the pitch, Ilya, what are you sort of thinking about Saints at the moment? Uh, personally, I'm actually quite optimistic, uh, but I think I always am, even when <laughs> things aren't going that well. Uh, I actually have a lot of trust in like the people who manage the club and yeah. uh, in Ralph at the moment, of course. I'm actually a big fan of Ralph. I think mm. he's um, he's brought a lot of professionalism to the club, which was kind of missing with the last few managers. Um, I don't want to point fingers at anyone, but um, I think he was missing a little bit. I think we, we're doing much better. Uh, I think we did really well in this um, transfer window as well. Yeah. Um, not just with the people who, who came in, but also the, the people who left. Um, I think some of them haven't been that lucky and maybe haven't really even got a 
a real chance to shine. But I think it's it's good to kind of clean up a little bit and also give them a chance to, you know, reignite their careers as well. So I'm actually quite happy with how things are going at the moment. Probably not everyone in the, in our supporter group shares this opinion. <laughs> I know some people are very critical of Ralph even. Uh, but of course, everyone's entitled to their own opinion. It's a very emotional fan base, Ilya. Don't worry. I think there's uh, there's always yeah, going to yeah, be a know, few people. Don't worry. So yeah, I think even yeah, if we yeah, won yeah. a game ten nil, they'd worry that it wasn't eleven nil or something like that, wouldn't they? So yeah, I bet every football fan's uh, group is like that. You know, there's always going to be uh, people that are glass half full and glass half empty. Um, from your point of view, Ilya, Danny Ings is the obvious answer here. I know, but who do you currently enjoy watching in the the Saints squad? I'm a big fan of uh, Stuart Armstrong, mm-hmm. not just because uh, he comes from, from Scotland. Um, and as we discussed before we started recording, I have a soft spot <laughs> for it. But uh, I, I really like him. I think he's a really nice guy, really professional. I think he's a bit of a like a quiet leader on yeah, the team as well. It's, yeah. it's the, the feeling I get. Really sorry to hear that he's got the, the virus. Mm. Um, but I hope he, he's fine and he makes a full recovery. No, I would uh, totally agree with you on that one, uh, on both accounts. Um, and in terms of the coverage and the sort of content the club provide, how does that sort of help you and the guys out there in, in Bulgaria? Do you get a sense that even though you are on the other side of Europe, so to speak, that you get a good flavour and a good feel for what's going on in and around St Mary's and Staplewood and feel part of the club almost? Yes, totally. Um, and it's not just the club that's doing a, a great job, but it's also the fans. Mm. Um, I mean, I have uh, friends who live in Southampton and go to the games. And those are people I've met through going to that first game to Hull or just through going to some of the other games. Yeah. And I think the, the club is also doing a very good job of um, like covering the club, sharing a lot of content. I love how, like how sincere Ralph is. Mm. Like he's very, I feel like he's very open uh, whenever, like even if he, if he gets a question about transfers or anything like that, he would usually give a really straight, answer which isn't that common in football managers yeah one thing that can actually really help us as, as fans is so we try to go and you know attend at least one game uh, per season we've always wanted to do like maybe two per season but uh, so far we haven't been able to so you know one is like our minimum um hopefully you know we're able to travel soon again and uh go to games so one thing that can really help us is i know that um tickets can be hard to come by there's like a lot of uh, demand sometimes and you know in the past i've gotten in touch with uh you know the, the ticket office at the club and they've actually been very responsive and very helpful but you know when you need to like catch a flight and travel and plan um time off from work and things like that it usually helps if you like know uh, as early as possible, like what date the game's going to be and if you can um, secure a, a ticket for that game. Because, for example, I wanted to go to, I think it was the opening game was Burnley at St. Mary's and it was initially scheduled for a Saturday. So, like, we were doing, and it was like August, late August, I believe. So we were doing a trip around England at that time mm-hmm. and I planned it in a way that I would end at Southampton, go to the game on Saturday, and then fly back home on Sunday. They move the game to Sunday. <laughs> so that kind of ruined my whole plan. I know exactly what you mean, and it is frustrating because, of course, yeah, living it as well out of the Southampton area now, I uh, 
I think it was yeah. last Christmas uh, or the Christmas before they were meant to play West Ham at home on Boxing Day so we did the same we sort of agreed to fly down on the 23rd to see my family and the view was that we'd go to the West Ham game and then fly back on the midday of uh, the 27th and then uh, I thought brilliant you know, I'll take my son to his first game and he'll be able to watch them and all that sort of thing then the game got moved to the 27th in the evening of course we couldn't change our flights to be fair it worked out quite well earlier because I don't know if you remember but Felipe Anderson scored twice and we lost anyway so it was fine but uh, it is frustrating isn't it when you are trying to and I know there's obviously not too much Saints can do about that it's uh, the TV companies but yeah that's one of the downsides of being in the Premier League is that the fixtures get moved around left right and centre it's excruciating when you know you're, you're in Southampton you see the fans coming in and you have to leave you know you have to catch the <laughs> exactly. train yeah. the airport or whatever they're, they're flying into the airport as you're flying out of it exactly so uh, so there we go but uh, so yeah I mean in, in, sort of just finally I mean if there was one thing the club could do better from a Bulgaria supporters club is there anything else that sort of stands out in terms of communication in a local dialect or just being able to have more contact or anything like that uh, well I mean, if, if they can produce content in Bulgarian, that, that would be great. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it's high the market, on the list. Yeah. You know, the market is big enough to support <laughs> that. I guess the, the biggest thing for us is just like having the opportunity to call and say there's like five or ten of us, we need a few tickets. Yeah. Uh, and like the club responding to that would be amazing. And I've actually done that. I like, yeah. you know, credit to the club. Um, I've called and I said, can you help us? And they were like, well, you're overseas fans, even though like I think the threshold for a group is... 10 or 15 or 20 people i'm not sure yeah. we were only five maybe at that game and they were like we'll help you because you know you're planning to come from all the way from bulgaria for that game um just finally then Ilya, if there's any other saints fans listening to this in in your part of the world and i don't just mean necessarily in bulgaria if there's other bulgarian saints fans listening to this somewhere else in the world and fancy connecting how would they make contact both with you because i know you're quite active on social media but also the Bulgarian group, you mentioned the website and things like that. So give us some of the sort of core social media details, Ilya. So one thing uh, that I forgot to mention earlier and I, I want to mention is that we even have um, like an amateur um, Sunday League type of thing, uh, team called oh, yeah. uh, Bulgarian Saints, uh, which is run and managed by one of my friends from the Sofia Saints. Uh, he's, he's the manager of the club. Yep. Um, a lot of the guys who play for that club, they, they also play for some of like the youth academies of the professional Bulgarian clubs. All right. Yeah. Um, some so of them are in, is it, yeah, 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 of course. <laughs> <laughs> we actually, I think there was one guy who's like a U19 national player or something like that. He's like in the U19 national side. But uh, if uh, people want to connect with us, they can find us on Facebook. The page is called uh, Southampton FC Bulgaria. Uh, there's also the website, which is in Bulgarian, uh, which is bulgariansaints.wordpress.com, I believe. Mm-hmm. I'm not 100% sure, but I'm sure they can find it. And um, people can find me on uh, Twitter and Facebook just by typing my name, I guess. That would be the easiest. So yeah, just for anyone that's listening that, that fancies connecting with Ilya, it's Ilya, I-L-I-A, Markov, M-A-R-K-O-V. Um, Ilya, look, it's been a real pleasure to chat with you and uh, learn a little bit more about the Bulgaria Saints out there. Thank you so much for your time. And uh, obviously, I'm sure every Saints fan that's listening to this would echo, just keep flying the red and white flag over there in Sofia. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much. It's been a real pleasure. And I have to say the the podcast is absolutely amazing. It's become my favorite podcast. I just wait for it every uh, Monday. So I highly recommend it to anyone who wants to, you know, get fresh news and like a very fresh analysis of what's going on at the club. Real pleasure talking. Bye bye.
guys, I'm Danny Ings, and you're listening to the Total Saints Podcast. A big thanks again to Ilya for his time, and well done to all the Saints fans out there in Bulgaria. We hope you're enjoying the new International Supporters Club feature. Look out for our next edition of it during November. Right, before we finish up by previewing the visit of Everton St Mary's next weekend, let's briefly touch on the recent summer transfer window and also the Premier League decision to have pay-per-view matches put in place, including the potential Saints angle on things. Um, Dan, our patrons had the luxury of hearing your detailed assessment in an exclusive pod we shared with them last week. Um, just to summarise that for the, the wider episode audience, um, all in all, you were quite positive about the position Saints found themselves in at the end of the window. Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, a lot of the players that they didn't want there uh, are no longer there. They've, you know, OK, we've not seen really, well, we see if we saw a few minutes of Diallo, we've not seen anything of Salasu and we saw 90 minutes of Walcott and, you know, we've all been impressed by Walker Peters. So, you know, so far, I think we can only sort of say they've brought some good players in, as I think I kind of alluded on that on the other pod we did. You know, the the issue, I mean, Southampton are still going to have the issue next summer when all of these players come back um, and then they, they're going to have a year left on their contract. So you'd like to think that you'll be in a similar situation as you are. They were with kind of Carrillo this summer where you're basically just desperate for anyone to take them. And I think after, I think Lazio got hammered yesterday as uh, I want to say Steve put in the, the group chat yesterday. I could be wrong. It might have been Glenn. I can't remember. Uh, and I saw some of the defending in that game. So yeah, I mean, if he ends up at Lazio on a permanent, then I, I mean, I don't know. I I try and find Martin Simmons and shake his hand because <laughs> um, I think he deserves it. But no, yeah, be serious. On a serious note, I think you know they got they got cover up top um, with Walcott, who's got you know obviously fantastic experience, and they've gone after Diallo to you know to play alongside Prowsey and challenge Romeo. And obviously we've not you know he's played twenty odd games in France, so I don't think. You know, he's obviously a raw talent. He's probably got a lot to learn, but it's he seems like an exciting sort of signing. Um, Salasu, obviously, he's training, but when we see him, you know, I'm not too sure. It seems to be, you know, oh, in a couple of weeks, in a couple of weeks, in a couple of weeks, um, you know, be the end of the season before we see him. I was going to say his contract will elapse by the time he's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's on a new deal before he plays. <laughs> I know, I know, yeah. uh, but no, yeah, I think you know, on on the whole, it was a it was a good window, I think. Yeah, no, good stuff. You're right. Uh, Lazio lost three 0 to Sampdoria, and obviously, if you do bump into Martin Simmons, you'll have to give him an elbow pump or whatever they're called. When you can't give him a handshake these days, but uh, there we go. Um, Steve, as uh, Dan mentioned, there the majority of the focus was obviously around um, Theo, as we've kind of alluded to. But overall, the club did sign those four players. Um, you know, as Dan's alluded to there, Walker Peters is already kind of in the mix. We know what he can do. He's had a number of decent games for us, but. I suppose Diallo and Salasu are still really to kick a ball in anger for us. So, you know, from your point of view, are you comfortable with what the club did from an incoming point of view, or do you think they're missing one or two? No, I think we were fine, mostly. I mean, you're, you're always kind of trying to weigh up, weigh up the balance of having a bigger squad and then potentially having sort of three or four players on the fringes who are getting a bit arsy because they're, they're not even on the bench, let alone uh, getting in the first team. And also then obviously the, the risk of uh, the risk of having sort of two or three injuries in, a, in one position at the same time, in which case then you, you end up looking stupid um, because your, your squad is ruthlessly exposed and you're, you're either playing somebody out of position or you're bringing, bringing a kid through who's, we would assume, nowhere near ready at this stage. I think overall, I think four four players who you could feasibly see being in the in the starting eleven in Premier League games. I think that's that's probably about as about as far as you, about as far as you would 
sort of expect us to be able to go at the moment, um, particularly given obviously stuff we've described, we've discussed um, sort of ad nauseum, really, that without actually permanently getting rid of all these players, it does leave us a little bit hamstrung financially. Um, and obviously with the with the reduced income, uh, nobody coming through the turnstiles, I would assume there's going to be some sort of broadcast rebate based on the fact that the broadcasters aren't actually getting the product they've paid for, which is the Premier League with full stadia um, crowd interaction and all this sort of stuff. It's it's still not the same product that they've paid for. So I would imagine there's probably a little bit of little bit more financial pain still to come. No, I totally agree. And Glenn, on outgoings, I feel like I always come to you on outgoings because it involves Alianusi, Lamina, Hoyt, etc., etc. But uh, they've all gone on loan. Of course, Bufal and Guida Carrillo have left Saints on uh, permanent, in inverted comma, free transfers. Um, would you say those five heading out one way or another, as Dan kind of alluded to there, is arguably almost as important as the incomings, not, not least because I suppose it will now help the club start to build and improve in the upcoming transfer windows rather than potentially having to firefight as they may well have done previously. Um, the term that was used with me the other day regarding the wages of those players not playing for Saints and or in the club's plans was, quote, it kills your budgets if you can't get that money back. Yeah, I mean, I, with the, the financial situation especially, but even even before covid was a thing we were we were hamstrung by having had those three or four successive dreadful transfer windows where we, we recruited expensive players who turned out to be rubbish you know it's not it's not all rosy in the garden because we you know we we still we're going to get Hoyt back at the end of the year because there's, there's no way Lazio are going to see him play and sign him permanently um and the, the same with Lamina I mean he was celebrating on Instagram today because he played 10 minutes for Fulham I think so um <laughs> and and they were they were winning when he came off and yeah the game you know. they weren't winning so um he's leg- legendary guy in his in his own in his own lifetime, that guy. Yeah, I mean, Buffal, we we did this the other week. Steve, I know Steve's particularly annoyed about this that we didn't get a you know we didn't get any sort of fee for him, and we we've we've just let him go, and he was a game changer. But the um the money that's come in is 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 paying for Walcott's wages, and we're going to get more out of Walcott than we would out of all those five combined. So I think get getting these guys out the door, even if it is for a season, and it does just punt it down the line. Uh, in some cases, it, it, it's, it's only a good thing. I don't think any of those players, if I mean, certain fans will have favourites, but it, I think if you look at it honestly, I don't think any of those players are going to be missed. Mm, yeah, it was interesting as well. Cedric, of course, as uh, Dan pointed out, was playing for Arsenal under 23s this weekend. I think they fought back to draw three or if I'm uh, not mistaken, Dan. I felt like I had to look up the score once you'd let us know that he was playing for them. Legend. But uh, I know it's been quite a weekend for our ex-Saints, hasn't he it? He needed to update his Instagram because it was a how it's going or what, what that, what's that crazy at the moment? I can't. I don't yeah. even know. To be honest. How, it start, how it started, how it's going. How it started, how, how's it going? What yeah. about the next one? Exactly. There should be a picture of him with kids in the Arsenal chasing. <laughs> I know, exactly, yeah. But, but no, I do think we should mention Angus Gunn. Yeah. going on loan as well I mean obviously I think that is a, a good move for him he was obviously not going to play any part this season so I think you know he probably needs a season away to go and regain some confidence um, it'd be interesting to see whether he does actually become first choice there yeah you, you like. I mean they made such a kind of big deal about you know they wanted him for a long time they were doing everything they can to get Southampton to take Butland but that was just never obviously ne- did that but- never made did- any sense whatsoever did Butland go anywhere yeah it was yeah, kind of yeah yeah. Yeah, right. It was a good so day we, for the agent because I think you told us before Dan it's the same guy, right? Same, same um, triple S sport management. Yeah, yeah they good day for them. Then. 
Yeah. Yeah, I think it's actually um, David Beckham's agent that oh, runs that go. thing. Yeah. yeah. I think. I mean, I don't know it, but. Yeah. But no, I think it's a good move for Angus. Mm. Yeah, well, we'll see what happens. Stoke kept a clean sheet. I'm just looking here. 2-0 they won at Luton, and uh, he wasn't in goal, so he's got a bit of work to do. Um, just before we move on to the pay-per-view decision, um, Glenn wrote a really good piece, which I know is on his blog site, and it's also on our website, totalsaints.co.uk, just around uh, the transfer window, Total Saints opinion piece. So if you haven't read it yet, do so. Um, one of the things that Glenn said in there is it's very dangerous to do a poll immediately after the transfer window shut. So I did a poll immediately after the transfer window shut, uh, asking fans <laughs> what they thought of the uh, overall view from a Saints point of view I only gave you guys four options 7 out of 10 8 out of 10 9 out of 10 or 10 out of 10 and the overall votes were 18 percent 7 out of 10 51 percent and 8 out of 10 27 percent 9 out of 10 incredibly 4 percent and I'm sure if anyone at Saints has listened to this they'll be absolutely delighted to know 4 percent gave it a 10 out of 10 so there we go Glenn not dangerous at all Anyway, moving on was to that, the Premier League. Was that Martin Simmons voting himself? <laughs> possibly, possibly. I don't know if he's on social media, but if he is, maybe he did. Anyway, moving on to Premier League's pay-per-view decision. Um, Steve, look, it was obviously announced halfway through the international break that pay-per-view matches would be offered to the public as the Premier League and its clubs look to try and work through the ongoing financial holes, so to speak, of absent fans in football stadia. I've investigated it a little bit this week and picked up some further information, which I think probably ties very much into some of the details that I know people close to your heart, the London Saints, had also shared after their meeting, I think they had with Saints during the week. Overall, Steve, just in a sort of nutshell, what's your view on the whole thing, the pay-per-view thing? It's a load of nonsense. I mean, ultimately, people want to watch the games, so, okay, fine, make them available. But the problem problem you've got is that, I mean, they've not, advertised how this um this money is being divvied out um so we don't we don't know whether saints fans piling in and paying 15 quid for this um for this pay-per-view platform is actually going to benefit saints um we don't know whether um because because we were away it may well be well we're gonna um as we would with the ticket money all the um all the revenue from this game goes to chelsea in which case, however many Saints fans have paid 15 quid and that's gone into um, paying Kepper's um, extortionate wage for the, for the next um, five hours. I mean, the, pro- the price point is absolutely mental for me. And you can, you can tell that both the Premier League and the broadcasters are both feeling very, very awkward about it because they're both blaming the other side, the, the other part of this equation for having set the price. So the Premier, the Premier League is saying, well, we we sold, we've basically um, sold the the concept to Sky and BT, and it's up to them to set the price. Um, they've decided that that's that's what that's what the price is going to be. The broadcast is saying, well, no, the Premier, the Premier League told us what the price had to be. Um, we're not making any money from this. All we're doing is covering our costs from the broadcast and production side, and then all the money, all the rest of the money gets passed back to the Premier League for for distribution. So. Which which is it? It because it can't be both. Yep. Yeah. So someone's lying. Yeah. Well, one um, of the things and, one of the things I that, was certainly that's, told and that's was already got people's backs up. Yeah, and one of the things I was certainly told was that not all of the fourteen pound ninety five will obviously be going to the clubs. You know, broadcasters are going to retain a share of that as well, apparently. And uh, at the moment, that hasn't been determined how much. And Steve Sidwell needs playing. <laughs> uh, and even then, I think Steve, you know, the other thing as well, just briefly, is that you know, clubs haven't. It's not been decided yet, I think, whether clubs will keep their share or have to distribute it elsewhere, as you kind of allude to. But, um, look, I mean, I, I'm, I'm just going to share some of the stuff I was given. Um, you know, and I, I suppose, Glenn, before I come to you, you know, listeners can absolutely make their own minds up. And, you know, I think I, I certainly am clear about how I feel about it. But, 
I suppose there's been quite a lot of social media ranting about it and I, I suppose to try and give a bit of a view of maybe how Saints might have approached it um, and I know as I say LondonSaints.com if you haven't seen it have put some of the information up on their site from the meeting they had with um, I think it was Martin Simmons and Toby Steele possibly earlier this week um, the, the way that apparently the, the Premier League call worked was that the votes were taken in alphabetical order so 14 clubs were needed to agree a decision on whether it would pass or not either approved or rejected Saints are 16th in a current Premier League alphabetical list so by the time it got to them with Leicester having voted no it was already 14-1 effectively meaning the votes of Saints, Spurs, West Brom, West Ham and Wolves were almost irrelevant of course they weren't irrelevant because they could have still voted no if they wanted to um, I suppose the key thing Stephen I think London Saints also confirmed is that Saints weren't adamant that they were going to vote yes but I think ultimately decided during the call having not been given much pre-notice of it that that's the the way they were going to go on balance um you know I think they probably understood the vote wouldn't go down well with fans but had to consider their current financial situation which I'll touch on in a moment and I think like many of the other fans and uh, uh, clubs sorry and this has come out is that you know they felt they probably had little option as Sky and BT wouldn't keep showing games for free and the only way to stop fans ironically heading for free streams was to try and come up with some sort of solution that would work whether that'll uh, happen or not I think we probably all know the answer but yeah, essentially effect, yeah, right, exactly and you know I suppose essentially the view was that it allows all fans to access and watch matches not just those like myself for example that have got Sky and BT and Amazon and things like that and apparently and you're probably know this uh, Dan Steve you know the Football Supporters Association were okay with the accessibility to all proposal but not the pricing which I think goes for many of us as you kind of mentioned Steve clubs apparently did not set the £14.95 per match price obviously broadcasters did that it was made clear that pricing isn't something that clubs can drive um, and I suppose just going back to the financial element which I know London Saints have uh, outlined in their summary of Thursday's call as well Saints have lost around £22 million due to Covid which includes the £12 million rebate to broadcasters for 2019-20 breaking games so I suppose the general view was that their view was ultimately any additional income well losing season ticket money through refunds would be welcome so Glenn taking all that into account and trying to maybe understand the approach that the club have taken versus what all of us think as fans you know the the, the Premier League is a business I think we understand that but do you, do you think it makes the Saints vote a little bit more understandable and the Premier League vote a little bit more understandable? Or do you think it's, uh, you, you know, like Steve said, it sort of leaves a sour taste in the mouth overall? I, I don't really care about the excuse. You know, it sounds like an excuse to me to to almost say, well, we were 16th and the vote was already decided. I, I don't I don't really care. I mean, I'm I'm not angry at Saints as such. I'm just angry at the the you know the the whole decision. Fifteen quid is it's rubbish and there's so, there's so many reasons why it's rubbish um i mean i've heard from people who did did pay for the stream that it was pretty basic um in in terms of there wasn't much presentation for for 15 quid it, you know pay-per-view is supposed to be for sort of, you know the concept was anthony joshua fights you know and big important um occasions yeah it's the one-off isn't it yeah it's, Not the, it's the one-off it, it no, it's the it's the, you know it's the massive event. So if you're going to charge 15 quid for something, you've got to if you're going to charge that, you've got to make it a big presentation and make it really worth watching. Hmm. Or your alternative is to charge seven pound fifty for argument's sake and make it basic. You know, you'll you'll you, you you market it as okay, this is pretty crap, but it's cheap and it's reasonable. Which is um, what um, which is what the football league do with I follow. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 that would have been ideal, but I just think it's a p- particularly tone deaf decision with the uh, 
the times that we're living in. I mean, I'm, I'm very, very fortunate in that my, you know, my work's been unaffected by, by COVID and I'm actually probably better off because I'm not having to stick money in the car to drive anywhere. But I'm in the minority probably. And a lot of, a lot of people are skin and we, you know, we hear all this stuff about mental health and how sport is important. And a lot of people are citing missing their, you know, trips to football grounds as being part of the problem. And, and there was a, a chance to do something good about this. And also from an economic point of view, I, I kind of feel that if they'd made it £7.50, half of what they're charging, they'd have got more than double the subscribers. Whereas I think once you get above a tenner, people start thinking about it a little bit and going, well, is this, you know, this is quite expensive. Am I, do I really want to do it? So I just, I just think it's, you know, saying that it was a rush decision and, and not thought out particularly well. I, I don't, I don't probably buy comes that across, sort of. <laughs> doesn't it? You know, yeah, it, yeah, it comes across I, I almost, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's almost like, well, no, it's not our fault. We had to decide in a hurry. I, I'm, I'm not quite, I'm not quite buying that. If, if they didn't think that 15 quid was going to be a problem for a lot of people from a PR point of view, then, uh, then I'm, I'm sorry, we haven't got the right people running football in this country. It just, it, there you go. No, no, I, I wouldn't disagree with any of that. I'm sure lots of people listening wouldn't either, Glenn. Um, just, just finally on it then, Dan, just before we move on, because I'm sure we could talk about it for hours. Um, I suppose some of us have got quite used to watching games for free in inverted commas, myself included. But you know, the Premier League and the clubs, we know they're obviously a, a business, and you know, no business can do well if it's giving its product away for free. Again, in inverted commas. Um, I was thinking about this last night. Dan, I suppose as an, as an example, you know, for, for Saints fans that might have been going up to Stamford Bridge yesterday, and I'm sure this would be the argument that lots of football clubs would give, you know, it probably would have been 30, 35 quid for a ticket, you know, 25 quid or so for food and drink, probably, I don't know, what, 40 to 60 quid for a, a train return or something like that. So you're probably looking 95 to 100 quid for a day out, you know, that's a lot more than £14.95, we know. But just, I, I suppose the one thing that's really great to me through all of this, Dan, is that, you know, Premier League club spent about 1.2 billion pound in the summer transfer window, and now we're getting you know charged for for games because they don't want this um, sort of service to continue. From what you're hearing, sort of around Athletic Towers, and based on your own personal views, you know what what do you think of it? That it will be a success, or that it's going to need a, a bit of a rethink? Uh, I think from what it sounds is what it sounds like that there will kind of be in three weeks' time there will be like an assessment of how it's gone. Um, I very much doubt the sort of figures will come out or if they do come out, I'm very much sure there'll all be a kind of collect, like a, a big figure combined. You know, they're not going to reveal that only four people subscribe to watch Burnley v West Brom, are they? Um, so I think that there's that sense that, you know, they do actually release the figures. It will all be a kind of, you know, that this is how many people watched all the games. Um, but, you know, just to, to echo what Stephen Glenn have said, really, I think, you know, it came out pretty quickly that Ed Woodward was obviously the Man United chief exec was very kind of anti it and then still voted for it. Look, look at Leicester. I mean, whether that was kind of for PR reasons or what, I mean, from everything I've heard and speaking to people at The Athletic, that they were very opposed to it from the get go. Um, they were very outspoken in the meeting and, you know, they followed that up. So, you know, you have to give credit to them. You know, even if it doesn't count for anything, at least their supporters know that Leicester didn't basically back down and just vote this through because the Premier League do love every kind of vote to be unanimous because it's a big collective front. The whole thing, you know, there's the argument if you don't like it, don't pay for it. And I kind of, I, I get that sentiment. I really do. But, you know, it's, it's, fans a, da- pay, it's fans a dangerous pay attitude that. for the fans, Premier League to start I mean, taking, though, I think. Uh, yeah, but I mean, do they, do they care? I mean, the, the problem is, is you've got all these people in a, in a Zoom meeting, right? Let's face it, 15 quid to them is nothing. Re- realistically, you know, they're probably all on decent money. 15 quid is not a lot to them. 
So when someone says, oh, how about 15 quid? And I know the broadcasters are blaming the Premier League and the Premier League are blaming the broadcasters. The truth is probably somewhere in the middle. You know, 15 quid just isn't really a lot of money to these guys, I don't think. You know, I may be wrong. I mean, some of them may not be as well paid as others, but I'm pretty sure they're paid better than the average punter at a football stadium. So you've got that argument. Um, and yeah, it's just, it just, it's not good, is it? It's not a great look. You know, fans pay enough. Uh, you know, what does a, to buy a, a football shirt, what does that cost? 60 odd quid, you know? It's just depends whether you want Under Armour on it or not, Dan. Yeah, but yeah, exactly. But then, you know, just to kind of make another point on the the games Sky were giving out for free. Well, you know, they were they were selling adverts for those games, so they were still making money on them. Um, you know, it's they weren't necessarily giving them out for free because you know betting companies would have been snapping it up and paying X, Y, and Z for an advert. So yeah, it's it's just not a good look at, in this day and age, is it? Especially with what's going on with the the virus and people losing their jobs. is the Total Saints podcast, proudly underpinned by our TSP patrons. Just before we do the Everton preview, Steve, um, I couldn't let this episode pass without taking a moment to celebrate Danny Ings' first senior goal for England during the 3-0 win over Wales the week before last. Um, A great moment for him, obviously, and indeed everyone associated with the club, a little like that Ricky Lambert goal against Scotland that we all remember so fondly. But from a Danny point of view, Steve, a, a pretty handy overhead finish as well. Yeah, it was a great finish. I mean, I was surprised that he had that much space um, that close to goal. But no, he executed it superbly well. Um, I mean, I, was, I mean, you see so many players try and do that sort of um, acrobatic finish and it comes off their shin or they or they just miss the ball completely and it goes anywhere. So to have timed it as well as he did. And I mean, he gave Hennessy absolutely no chance, even though it was not far from him sort of in terms of sort of going past his body. You just give him absolutely no time to react to it. Um, so yeah, great, great finish. I mean, Wales were dreadful, weren't they? I mean, it was it was like playing a um, playing a league, league two team in a friendly. It's like, well, why why are we doing this? But I mean, him and Calvert Lewin both kind of staked their claim, I guess. But it's it kind of it kind of felt a little bit pointless um, having having the three international games, and obviously neither Ings or Prousey. Uh, got any minutes in the in the two games that actually mattered so uh, that was a little that was a little bit frustrating I thought yeah well ahead of the Chelsea game I asked Ralph about Ings goal and just how much satisfaction he'd personally take from helping Danny develop his game over the past 12 to 18 months here's what Ralph had to say yeah it's always uh, nice to see when when players uh, started to develop I was a striker and I like to work with strikers we spoke earlier about Timo Werner uh, and uh, the development he take, uh, took when he was in Leipzig. Now Danny Ings does it here. Uh, it's it's the way I want to play. It's a very offensive way. It's a very active way. It's a very early pressing way. I think the play, the strikers know that they have to work a lot, but they get the benefit for it. And I think then it's worse to work it and, and to do it and to do the the workload and um, I think this is something uh, Ingzi um, in the beginning he was not that fit and so he struggled a little bit with injuries but the more fitness he, he, he has got the, the better he, he, he become and in the end it was a complete package of, of working 90 minutes for the team and getting a lot of chances there and that he knows uh, where to score and how to score he showed uh, also before I was here, but I had to bring him back to this to this physical, uh, intense game and to this um, investing a lot. And then finally, you deserve to to score more. 
Many congratulations again to Danny, hopefully the first of many, assuming Gareth Southgate bothers to actually play him. Anyway, let's move on to the Everton game. Um, Dan, what have you made of them so far this season? Top of the league, still unbeaten, albeit maybe a little fortunately, as you mentioned earlier, after a questionable VAR offside decision late on in the Merseyside derby this weekend. Yeah, I mean, it's hard. You can't not be impressed by them. I think, you know, their recruitment's been bloody brilliant <laughs> i mean let's, let's be blatantly honest i mean which makes a change yeah eventually yeah, yeah. i mean they've spent so many i mean it's taken them a few summers to get it right but this summer they do seem to have got it right um when they signed rodriguez i mean i don't know i was kind of not skeptical but you never know what sort of player they're actually going to be getting um but yeah bloody hell he's he's not bad is he <laughs> um you know i've not watched too much of them i've seen sort of highlights here and there um but everything i've seen you know i have been impressed but you know they have got weaknesses as well I mean Jordan Pickford isn't exactly I know he is England's number one but he's not exactly the best goalkeeper around is he not so long I suspect no well you mean yeah you don't know with Southgate do you I mean he seems to leave his best players on the bench anyway so I mean I know yeah you have to be impressed by what Everton have done so far um yeah I, I can't really add much more than that yeah Steve uh, I mean probably just to add to that as, as Dan sort of said you know I think probably somewhere in the region of 400 million I think they've spent over the past few years I think it is obviously Saints managed to finish a place above them last season it is still early in this term you know only five games in but yeah the likes of uh, Hammers and, and uh, people like that yeah, he, he very much looks like a shrewd signing for them that could almost sort of knit as we mentioned to her earlier with maybe you know Theo or something like that sort of knit some of the stuff together um, within that Everton side as he has done you know goals and assists already yeah I mean he's a I mean he's a superstar player really but he's Everton have taken advantage of the fact that Real Madrid have just decided to bin off a load of a load of big earners to the, the extent where Everton literally got him on a free transfer um, which is absolutely extraordinary if you think back to I mean, it's only six years ago that he was probably the best player in the World Cup. Real Madrid obviously signed him for big money then. And if you'd wanted to prize him away from Real Madrid at any point in the meantime, you'd have probably been paying upwards of at least 100 to 150 million pounds. And yet now they've given him away to given him away for free to Everton. And I mean, fair play to them for for taking advantage of that situation. And I, I, you would imagine that the presence of Carlo Ancelotti has has been a significant pull, pull in that because I mean, he's he is a, he, he is a manager that just knows what he's doing. He is he is a top quality manager. And um, yeah, I mean, if if Everton don't um, do well under him, then it won't be. I mean, basically, they they will have kind of exhausted all possible avenues of of succeeding. I think because um, the conditions are all set up set up very nicely for them to for them to be very good this season. I think. Yeah, and Glenn, as, as Steve sort of alludes to there, I, I think you know the likes of Hammers, Calvert Lewin, we've spoken about Lucas Dean. You know, they're all players that will need to be watched. I guess having. Uh, Started the season well, but you know one player that's scored numerous times against us over the past few seasons, Rakalson, not being uh, available next weekend is certainly uh, one less challenge for Ralph and the team to worry about. Yeah, big shame that. <laughs> I like, um, yeah, I like Richarlison. He's a he's a really sort of sort of player honest, that you warm, honest player, that you, that yeah. You, yeah, that you you warm to opposition players like that. He's <laughs> he's a dickhead basically, but he's a very good dickhead and he's a good player. Yeah, and he does always score against us. Um, when they signed him for ridiculous what seemed a ridiculous amount of money at the time it was like well what on earth he hasn't really done that much for Watford was it he was yeah that's right but he's he was their sort of one shining light last season in what was a very average team but this year with better players around him he's he's just gone to a different level and he's um 
he's very sadly going to be suspended against us. But um, I mean, I don't know who they will bring in. I can't think off the top probably of my head. Probably Sigurdsson or someone who always scores against us. Probably Sigurdsson <laughs> always scores <laughs> against us. So, so, I, I don't mean, know. I don't know. There we go. But, yeah. but at least that will slow their midfield down a bit. Yeah. 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 I think what what Everton's success this season does prove is that if, if you continue throwing ridiculous money at it and and you eventually get a decent manager in place then um, you can achieve great things. And, I mean, there's no way Hammers Rodriguez would have signed for David Unsworth. <laughs> <Is there? laughs> so, you know, f- fair play to them. And, uh, I, they, but they do, they do have weaknesses. You know, the Mina and Keane at centre-backs are not great. And, and Pickford, if he doesn't get a retrospective ban for that assault on Van Dyke at the weekend, will... Um, will be hopefully flapping around his goal like Tigger when we play him... Um, <laughs> We play him next week. Try yeah. think is Stecklenburg still there? No, he went two? to Ajax, didn't he? Oh, no idea. Not yeah. sure. Not I'm pretty sure he did. I'll ask Dan this question, and whilst Dan's answering it, I'll Google. But I'm pretty sure, and I'm sure everyone's nodding while they're listening that uh, Stecklenburg, or however you pronounce it, Stecklenburg went back to uh, Ajax. But uh, there we go. Um, Dan, just finally, then I suppose the challenge for Saints now is to try and make it back-to-back wins at St Mary's and, uh, you know, as we said, build on the confidence of Stamford Bridge. They're on a, a mini-run now of uh, games unbeaten as well, so just sort of try and keep all that momentum going. Yeah, that's always the, you know, the important thing is obviously you don't want to lose um, first and foremost, and if they can try and build up a run at St Mary's, I think that will be really important. You know, they've obviously got, you know, obviously Villa are playing really well at the moment, but you'd look at that game at the end of the month and you think, or the start of November and you think, well, if they can get a positive result against Everton, then that will do probably more for their confidence than getting a late draw against Chelsea because Everton as you say they're top of the league you know they haven't lost yet let's face it I mean most people are going to expect Everton to come to St Mary's next weekend and win you know I probably am in that camp as well I do expect Everton to win but I think you know at the same time I said Saints were going to lose 3-1 to Chelsea so don't particularly listen to me in my predictions they're not very good although I do think I am top of the league because we've all been so awful at it this year well we'll come to that in a minute Dan but don't get too carried away (laughs) (laughs) Um, but no yeah you're right you know the key thing is is just keeping that momentum you know and if they are going to lose you'd rather kind of a 2-1 or a you know at least they had a chance than a 4-0 5-0 kind of Spurs style drubbing yeah completely well hopefully if all goes to plan Stuart Armstrong should be back in contention we're we're thinking at the moment so that'll give Ralph a a more pleasing selection headache uh, bearing in mind obviously Theo Walcott won't uh, be able to play against his parent club so that'll be disappointing having had a good game at Chelsea anyway let's get on with some uh, match predictions then before we do uh, I've got to give a quick shout out to Glenn actually Dan oh hold on a minute Um, you're right Uh, Martin Stecklenberg plays for Ajax so it's quite depressing to think he's 38 and I'm 39 but uh, Steve just to confirm that's where he did go back to anyway Glenn Delacour um, he's had a very productive couple of weeks Glenn you you know this but uh, we obviously didn't do a pod last week so I couldn't mention it but you perfectly predicted Saints to beat West Brom 2-0 which they did so you got three points for that Um, Steve and Dan also picked up a point for correctly predicting Saints to win Uh, I should probably get points for my excellent reverse psychology nil one but I'll uh, obviously not take them Uh, speaking of that I went for Chelsea to win 3-0 this weekend against Saints so that worked to treat yet again Steve and Dan also predicted Chelsea wins Dan went 3-1 as you just mentioned Steve I think you went 2-1 Chelsea didn't you Uh, yes I think you did but uh, Glenn, no. Glenn was positive and predicted a two-all draw, so he gets one point as it finished three-all. So with all of that considered, the table currently shows as follows. So Glenn, you're on four points. Dan has two. Steve Aww. has one. And uh, I'm on uh, nil par at the moment, which is a good omen for six weeks into the season. But uh, there we go. Bad. <laughs> um, so yeah, I know. So Glenn is the current leader then. Let's start with you. Saints versus Everton. What are you predicting? 
Uh, I'm going to go for another another two-two draw. I, I think with against teams that have spent such a ridiculous amount of money, um, when we're playing these teams that are worth 400 million quid or whatever, then anything's a bonus. But I think there's there's something about Saints at the moment. And uh, I'll go for another draw. Yeah, perfect. All right. Uh, we're going to go in order of the table then, Dan. So uh, what do you reckon? 2-1 Everton. 2-1 Everton. All right. Steve? Um, um, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to buck the trend. This is normally where it comes out with like a 9-7 or something. <laughs> uh, well, I, I just think that Everton, I, I do wonder whether that sort of fast start that they've made has been punctured a little bit by um, sort of events yesterday, um, which I hope they have been. So therefore I'm going to go for a, uh, a, a ludicrous 3-2 Saints win. <laughs> Brilliant. All right. Uh, obviously I'm going to go for Everton to win 0-1. All You're listening to the Total Saints podcast. Going to the heart of all things Saints FC. Thanks for listening to this episode of Total Saints Podcast. We're very grateful to you for your time. Hopefully you've enjoyed it and found it interesting. Obviously it's a little bit longer than normal, but we've got a a couple of weeks to catch up on there. Thanks to Steve, Glenn and Dan, of course, for their time. We'll be back next week to reflect on the Everton home game and preview the 1st of November. Yeah, incredibly, uh, it's nearly November. Visit to Villa Park. That episode will also include our next Red and White Insight featuring Saints Managing Director Toby Stills. So we're looking forward to hearing what Toby has to say about a number of topical subjects, including the financial impact of COVID on Saints, the recent transfer window, and of course, the aforementioned pay-per-view. Patrons, for your awareness, I'll also be looking to firm up our second TSP VIP patrons-only event in the next few days for week commencing the 26th of October. So until next week, have an enjoyable seven days, Saints fans, and of course, keep marching in. Sport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.